here in your Bibles, we're going to, or stay there if you've already turned there. We're going to be going to Galatians 6, 11 through 18 here in just a moment. Let me introduce the passage first. Uh, this is uh, Paul's last words in this little short little book of Galatians, this short letter really of Galatians. And so this is the end of our series on Galatians. And I want to quiz you here just a moment, but instead of quizzing you on Galatians, because, you know, you weren't prepared for a quiz on Galatians, I thought I'd give you a simpler quiz. Um, Any of you, all of us should be able to answer these questions. You have to get at least four right or you fail the test, okay? I'll give you the answers right afterwards. This is just a basic life quiz, okay? How long did the Hundred Years' War last? Which country makes Panama hats? Panama. From which animal do we get cat gut? Cats. Guys are doing good. In which month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? October. What is a camel's hairbrush made of? <laughs> the Canary Islands in the Pacific are named after what animal? Got a few more. What was King George VI's first name? You guys, you guys are just great. What color is a purple finch? Where are Chinese gooseberries from? What is the color of the black box in a commercial airplane? Okay, remember, you need to only have four correct answers. So let's give you the answer key. Correct, check your answers. How long did the Hundred Years' War last? 116 years. Which country makes Panama hats? Ecuador. From which animals do we get, which animal do we get cat gut? Sheep and horses. In which month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? November. What is a camel's hairbrush made of? Squirrel fur. The Canary Islands in the Pacific are named after what animal? Dogs. What was King George VI's first name? Albert. What color is a purple finch? Crimson. Where are the Chinese gooseberries from? New Zealand. And what is the color of the black box in a commercial airplane? Orange. It's still not even black. If you failed, so did I. I looked at that and uh, what is this? Anyways, but hopefully you do better with Galatians. And we won't quiz you on Galatians today. But Galatians has been about our freedom in Christ and our freedom to serve. And so I just want to start with this short video clip. If I could have Ken turn this video clip on. And Basher, I'm going to hit the lights right behind you.
Thanks for getting the light, Steve. God has called us to serve one another in our freedom. We are free. In other words, all Galatians has been about is these Judaizers who are Jewish supposed Christians who want them to keep the whole law. But we're not saved by the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's nothing wrong. We should try our best to follow the Ten Commandments. We should try our best to live by the moral law that God taught in the, in the Old Testament. But we're not saved by it. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and in our salvation and freedom. We're called to serve one another. So we're wrapping up Galatians today. And as we do, we will see the summary of Paul's themes. Galatians is about Jesus. Galatians is about how we are saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. We are saved by faith and alone. It's all about Jesus. And our Christian life should also be all about Jesus. Dying daily to self, living daily for Jesus, living vertically. I call it living vertically. It means we're living for Jesus, not for self. Living for Jesus. And by the way, just a quick side note. A few weeks ago I said that worship is not about us. Our church service is not about us. It's about God. And um, sometimes God gives back, which I believe when we come to worship, our first and foremost goal is to worship God. Not worship self. It's not about us. It's about God. However, even as we sing praise songs and worship God in song, God reciprocates and, and God encourages us in our faith. And also then, hopefully, as we hear the preached word, the proclaimed word, or even the reading of scripture, you know, that's about kind of us and God, if that makes sense. God is, we're hoping the Holy Spirit convicts us through the word of God of how we're living and living and, and encourages us to live for him. So it's, it's not that it's, I have trouble saying this. It's not that worship is only about God. It's first and foremost we come here to worship God. But certainly we need it for our faith. I do. Don't we? We need it. We need community gathered together. And that's a suffering thing in the American church. It's struggling. We're suffering because we're bad at community. That's why you can't just get on Facebook Live and worship that way. You know, if you're homesick and you can't get out, yeah, you know, do use some of that. But you need the community. We need to be in person, worshiping the Lord, in person, with each other. The Bible says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We're stronger together. We need community. So today we see uh, the theme of Paul's final warnings. In the application, boast in Jesus. Don't boast or brag about anything you do. We only boast or brag about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has conquered the grave for us. We are saved freely. None of us can go out of this place and say, I did so much to earn my salvation. None of us can do that. You can't do that. We only can boast in Jesus. McKinsey just did a fabulous job reading this passage. So I'm going to not read the whole section again. But I do want to reread verses 11 through 16 as I start to talk about them. Verses 11 through 16 are about submitting to Christ and boasting in him. So let's reread that, those verses. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Only boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Verse 15. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. 
Verse 16. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Let's walk through those verses. Submit to Christ, boast in him. As we look at verses 11 through 16, we see that theme. We see this theme of submitting to Christ, boasting in him. We must surrender to Christ. We must only boast in him. Only boast in Jesus. Because we have nothing to boast or brag about. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says exactly that. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone can boast. First, though, in verse 11, we see, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. This is Paul's John Hancock. I'm sure many of you know the story, the Declaration of Independence. All these people signed it. And one person, John Hancock, wanted to stand out. He, wanted, he said, what he said was, I want King George to be able to see this without having to put on his spectacles. But this is Paul's John Hancock right here. The New American Commentary shares this. Uh, it, it says, it was a common convention of Hellenistic letter writing. Hellenistic, which would be kind of Greco-Roman era letter writing, that a secretary or amunensis, and amunensis would prepare the main body of the letter, while the sender would append his signature and perhaps a few closing words of benediction as a way of attesting the contents of the letter and assuring the reader of his full endorsement. So a lot of Paul's letters he did not write himself, but he did put his signature at the end. Now, some of this could be because Paul's eyesight was struggling because of his, his, his persecution. It could be various other reasons. But it was very common back then to use an amunensis. It's basically somebody who writes for you, a scribe. Though in Judaism, a scribe meant a lot more than that, but it'd be somebody who wrote for you. you actually, they actually have people who could read for you back then, too, because reading was hard work. And, for, and, and that, you know, that's okay. So they would actually have slaves or servants who were hired to read for them. There were no spaces in the words. There were no punctuation. There were no capital letters. It took a lot to read, and it took a lot to write. And actually, to be literate in the first century, this is just extra information. There's no charge. To be literate in the first century meant you could recognize road signs. It did not mean you could write and read and all that. Though Paul was very literate. But he still used an amunensis, somebody who would write for him. He dictated these letters. He dictated them. Just like we might do with Siri on our iPhone, except in today's day, if you dictate a message to your phone, at least I do, I have to go back and correct all the words. Yes. And yeah, it messes them up. Anyways, so we, it, this, this commentary says, we follow much the same practice today when an attorney or legal secretary draws up an official document that requires the signature of a client for validation. We gather from other comments in Paul's letter that it was customary for him to dictate his letters orally to an ammunensis and then add a personal postscript and signature in his own hand at the end of the epistle. And if you're want to look up some other passages having to do with this, you can check it out in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 21, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 17, as well as Colossians 4, 18. Thus, most commentaries believe that Galatians 6, 11, this passage, is a place in Galatians where Paul took the stylus from the hand of his secretary and finished off the letter in his own handwriting, using for some reason, unusually large letters, to which he drew attention in this verse. 
I imagine Paul dictating the letter, and at this point, I can just imagine him over several sessions dictating the letter, then picking up the stylus, dipping it into the ink, and signing it right here. This is extremely important. It is extremely important in the New Testament. We know that people would write in someone else's name. They forged names back then, just like people do today. We have what's called pseudepigrapha literature. I have it in two volumes in my office, and that's not all of it. There's also something called the Nag Hammadi, which are gospels that were written under a false name. They're not really gospels. They're not in our Bible. They're not in our Bible because they were not written by an apostle. So like the gospel, there's a, a later gospel of Judas. It wasn't written by Judas. It was written three to four hundred years after Judas. The Gospel of Mary. It wasn't written by Mary. It was written by three to four hundred years after Mary. There was people. There were people who tried to write in somebody else's name. So Paul, right here, is taking the stylus, dipping the ink, signing it, and saying, "I endorse this document. This is me. This is the Paul you know writing this document. This is not a forgery. This is not a fake. This is a trustworthy source, inspired by God." And we can trust it today. By the way, you can see 2 Thessalonians 3.18 as another example dealing with pseudepigraphal literature. So it's important to know Paul authenticated it. He authenticated it. We see false motives. Moving on here. We see false motives in verses 12 through 13. The legalizers, the Judaizers, these people who want them to keep the whole law, they would boast in circumcision. Now, circumcision is not the big deal in and of itself. They would boast in people keeping the whole law. Boast in people keeping the whole law. It seems that verse 12 shows people are being persecuted for the gospel too. Paul says they do this so they don't have to be circumcised. <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> so they don't have to be persecuted. It's a bad word to mess up on. Uh, they do this so they don't have to be persecuted. So it seems that Jewish people are persecuting Christians for the message of grace. Jewish people are persecuting Christians for the message of grace. The IVP Bible Backgrounds Commentary shares about this. Let me reread that verse. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised so they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be, he goes on. So when it says boast in the flesh, the IVP Bible Backgrounds Commentary clues us into what Paul is meaning. It says, the metaphor here is grotesque. Paul has been assailing those who live by the flesh by merely human mortal power, ignoring God. Physical circumcision was commonly said to be in the flesh. Here Paul speaks of these culture-bound missionaries as if they want to take the Galatians' foreskins back to their cinders. Again, a very grotesque image. Paul is being very sarcastic, very inflammatory in his words to make the point of what he's, uh, that they're saved by grace and they need to just dismiss them. So we come to verses 14 through 16 and we see the theme, only Jesus. Only boast in Jesus. Boast in nothing else but only Jesus. In verse 14, we see that Paul says exactly that. He says he will only boast in Jesus. He will only boast in the cross. Paul made similar statements in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He says it's all about Jesus. It's all about the cross. He says, I will only boast in the cross. What matters is that you are a new creation. You could cross-reference that with 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are made new in Christ. Do we realize that? 
How exciting that is. What an awesome theological statement that is. We are made new in Christ, a new creation in Christ. John Withrop wrote this, and now this is old English here, but it says, O Lord, crucify the world unto me, that though I cannot avoid to live among the baits and snares of it, yet it may be so truly dead unto me and I unto it, dead to the world, living for Jesus. Verse 16, Paul gives a blessing. Those who walk as a new creation will have peace and mercy. Peace and mercy. Isn't it nice? Isn't it nice to have peace? And how many of us desire peace? We want peace. And we can have peace only through Jesus. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. That word peace. It's a fruit of the Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit, He gives us that fruit and it is peace. That we can have peace even in very, very difficult circumstances. That's why Paul in Philippians 4, starting at verse 4, he's being persecuted in some form of a Roman prison. The Philippians are being persecuted, and he says, Let your gentleness be made known to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness. How do we do that? We do it through the fruit of the Spirit. We do it through the peace from God, the peace that passes understanding, which we receive through Jesus. Peace. And then we also receive mercy. We receive mercy in Christ because we do not experience the wrath of God. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve, salvation. Mercy is when God holds back what we, don't deserve, what we, what we do deserve. We all deserve the wrath of God for our sins, and God holds it back. Paul calls him the Israel of God, or he says to the Israel of God. He says, um, but may it never be that I boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither, circ neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Who are the Israel of God? This is likely Jewish believers. Jewish believers. Though it could be referring to Gentile Christians. Some would say he's talking about all believers, but it seems to me that he's referring to Jewish Christians, the Israel of God. Then there's a final warning and benediction in verses 17 through 18. Let me reread verses 17 through 18. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. He says, this is a solemn warning. Paul talked about his scars in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, as well as 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He talked about his beatings and his imprisonments there. And now he says, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. That's from his beatings. It's from his imprisonments. Just to help you remember it, I was a youth pastor, and I used to take the youth group to play paintball. I hated paintball. Maybe some of you have played it. I don't think it makes sense to run around and have fun and walk out bruised and things like that, you know? And every time I would say, I'm taking the youth group to go paintball, the senior pastor would say, he would reference this verse. Paul said, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. So if any of you do a ministry function playing paintball, you also might have on your body the brand marks of Jesus at the end of the day. You know, I like what John MacArthur said about this passage. He said, slaves were branded. Slaves were branded. Military would be branded. 
Paul is saying he is branded for Jesus. Paul is actually saying, don't question me. I am branded for Jesus. It's a final warning to the Judaizers. It's a final warning to those questioning him. He's saying, don't question me. I am branded like a slave to Jesus. I am branded like a military uh, man for Jesus. I am branded for Jesus. Then verse 18, he has a wonderful close. Paul affirms them in a loving benediction. He calls them brothers or brothers and sisters, and he extends grace. Let's take a moment and add some applications. We must be bold following Jesus, even if it means persecution, verse 12. They face persecution. We will. Maybe some of us have. Be bold following Jesus, even if it means persecution. We cannot compromise faith in order to avoid persecution, verse 12. There's been many that have done that over the last century and centuries, even in the United States, compromising the faith values because they don't want being mocked. They don't like the things people say. We cannot do that even to avoid persecution. It seems like the people in Galatia were doing that. They faced persecution, so they compromised proper faith. We must only boast in Jesus in the cross, verse 14. If you want to boast or brag about something, boast and brag about your awesome Savior, not yourself. We must be crucified to the world and living for Jesus, verse 14. We must understand what matters is that we are new in Christ, verse 15. And respond in awesome worship. We are made new in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul uses the word metamorphosis. It's like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. That's a change that Jesus does in us. We must be loving to people as Paul was in his final verse, verse 18. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. Gentleness. The comedian Louis C.K. has a routine in which he jokes about having the impulse to give up his first-class airline seat to a soldier. Louis C.K. says, servicemen and women always fly coach. I've never seen a soldier in first class in my life. And every time that I see a soldier on a plane, I always think, you know what? I should give him my seat. It would be the right thing to do. It'd be easy to do. And it, and it would mean a lot to him. He says, I never have. Let me make that clear. I've never done it once. And here's the worst part. I was actually proud of myself for having thought of this. I am such a sweet man. That is so nice of me to think of doing that and then totally never do it. However, in June of 2014, Oscar-nominated Oscar actress Amy Adams, we all know her, she played Lois Lane. <laughs> Maybe you don't, okay. Amy Adams actually acted on that thought. Boarding a flight Friday from Detroit to Los Angeles, where she was shooting a new movie, Amy Adams noticed an American soldier being seated in coach. She decided to do something that she's always just thought about doing. Jamel Hill, a reporter for ESPN and a fellow first-class passenger, witnessed Adams quietly asking the airline crew permission to switch seats with the soldier, whom she didn't even know. Adams moved back to coach, and the surprised soldier, who didn't know who his benefactor was, moved up to first class. I love it. Hill... The ESPN reporter immediately got the word out on Twitter. And after their arrival in L.A., Amy Adams told reporters, I didn't do it for attention for myself. I did it for attention for the troops. I love it. I didn't do it for attention for myself. I did it for attention for the troops. And that is how we should be. We must give up our seat to Jesus. 
We don't do it for attention for ourselves. We do it for Jesus. Give Jesus the spotlight. One more illustration. When divers combed the wreckage of the Kursk, which was the destroyed Russian nuclear submarine, on which 118 sailors perished. 118 sailors. They found a letter written by Lieutenant Dmitry Kolsniskov. We'll go with it. The handwritten note was addressed to his wife, Olga. It was pinned after the explosion that sealed the sub's doom on August 12, 2000. In the Barents Sea, and it confirmed speculation that all the crew had not died instantly. A few hours after the submarine plunged to the bottom of the sea, Koznikov wrote, All the crew from the 6th, 7th, and 8th compartments went over to the 9th. There are 23 people here. None of us can get to the surface. The note included a deeply personal expression of affection to his beloved Olga, who admitted that her husband had a premonition of death when he bade her goodbye before sailing out to the Barents Sea. Eerily, the last lines of the letter indicated that death was closing in. The auxiliary power had failed. Koznikov wrote unevenly in the pitch darkness, and he wrote, I'm riding blind. What a terrible sense of approaching doom. The sailors' despair and foreboding isn't all that different from what many people feel about this world. The Apostle Paul, blind and knowing that a martyr's death was near, also wrote goodbye letters. His letters, though, were filled with hope in Christ. We can all have that hope in Christ. Do you have the hope of Christ? Have you repented and confessed you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you believed in Jesus as only Savior? Have you committed your life to Him as Lord and Savior? Have you firmly made the decision to be with Jesus in order to become like Him and to learn and do all that He says and arrange your affairs around Him? Are you committed to Him? In Luke 9.23, Jesus says, Anyone can follow me, but he's got to deny himself, take up his or her cross, and follow Jesus calls us to a life of commitment, of organizing our affairs around him, of being followers of him and not just fans on the sidelines. Have you done that? I encourage you to do that today. We're never promised tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this short letter of Galatians, penned by the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia. Lord God, we thank you because it's an encouraging message to remember that we are saved by grace through faith in you. We are saved not having to earn our salvation, but just trusting in you as Lord and Savior. Lord God, if anyone here has not committed their life to you, I ask that today the Holy Spirit will convict them they're a sinner in need of a Savior. They will confess that to you. Repent. Believe in you as Lord and Savior. Trust in you and commit to you. Lord, help us all trusting in you, committing to you following you. We need your help. When we fail, Lord, we know you want to pick us up. Help us to always, always run back to you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, bless and guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.